Blog Talk Radio. Workers, 
uh, like myself, within the same corporation, the corporation that I worked for employed in its heyday, probably like four years prior to me being laid off, around 130,000 employees. Quite a few employees. Well, everything turned around. Things were going on with Boeing. I didn't work for Boeing, but something happened with Boeing to where Boeing became you know, the fantastic corporation that the government absolutely loved and everybody else sucked. So all the contracts were going to Boeing and Boeing was going to be, you know, like the bestest of the bestest out there or whatever. Well, meanwhile, me and my other 10,000 colleagues who do the same thing are struggling to find the salaries and the incomes that we were accustomed to, you know, over 100000 a year, and then being thrust out into the market to, like, fend for ourselves, and the people, the new kids coming out of the, the IT field or out of the IT shops and training centers and that kind of thing, looking for nineteen to 23000 salaries. That's a huge difference. And we were left high and dry. Well, I spent two years trying to find work back in the D.C. area. My girlfriend, fiancé, got laid off about six months prior to me being laid off. And then we spent two years at home together fighting over what channels and what TV you know shows we're going to watch and what we should have for dinner and what are we going to do today when we just spent the last, you know, six months sitting on the couch in the same place watching the same TV, still filling out applications and hoping for, you know, some kind of new job coming up. It wasn't working at all, at all. But meanwhile, I was working away as a psychic professional. Like, I had a significant position and place within the D.C. metropolitan area. Like, I was fairly well-known through all the metaphysical shops, groups, and organizations that were in that area, and I was doing fairly well. Well, my fiancé was, you know, she was okay with what I did on the weekends or whatever, and it just kept me busy, but because I went 24-7 doing that kind of work, that it sort of got in her way and sort of made her uncomfortable, and that she became irritable, and I guess I became irritable, and because we were spending so much time together that we ended up burning each other out and crashing our relationship. Absence certainly keeps the heart fond of whoever your your life partner is. Spend 24-7 together, you end up burning that candle out and crashing it, and you can plan for it to end. I've seen this happen again and again and again. As I've read for clients through the years, you know, through my profession, and that they have come to me and told me, hey, I'm having this experience and that experience. When I do readings for people, I can give them my own professional life experience based on what has happened to me and also what people have told me that has happened to them and that, you know, I can just, like, pass the wisdom along. I don't say this happened to me, but I know someone who actually it did. Well, I was thriving at that. Well, uh, just didn't go well and that we ended up, um, I moved out. And then I had a, a an ex-girlfriend who had some 10 years ago went and got married and had two excellent baby girls and then she moved to Columbus, Ohio. She says, leave D.C. behind that crazy no-good place and come to Columbus. You can rent the basement area because my mom just moved out. We had the, part, the apartment set up downstairs for her. Now that she has her own place, you can rent it from us if you want to. So that's what I did. I picked up and took all my stuff there and put it, you know, in that basement and looking to begin a life in Columbus, Ohio. And it was very cool. And that I do her her baby girls when they were born and just, you know, um, I felt like family going in there. I've known her for so long that I felt like I could start making things happen. Well, the same issue back in D.C. was in Columbus. No one is looking to hire IT professionals for over you know, 50 grand, if you're lucky, 30-something, right? And that's not going to pay the mortgage unless you buy a house for around $50,000. 
So I was hopeful. I was diligent. I kept at it. I kept at it. And still I had I picked up psychic profession there in Columbus. It wasn't much of a challenge to move from there to from D.C. Columbus. And I just started trying to make, you know, things work there. Well, um, October, my grandmother passed away around the end of October, like, no, uh, end of September, like September 25th. I'm horrible with dates or whatever. And it was a sad thing, but I was like six hours away and that she didn't want a funeral. They just, you know, cremated her and, and let it be at that. And I remember what she told me that she wanted, and I honored that. And that, you know, she was 101, lived a great life. I didn't have to come to her funeral because I knew that I wouldn't have to. And being, you know, a medium like myself, I could feel in my heart and my gut that she would be okay with that. Well, two weeks later... My brother calls me and says that my dad is in critical condition at the hospital in St. Louis, which is about two hours from my hometown. And he said he's on life support and that it doesn't look like he's going to wake up and that he had fallen, hit his head, and that he was on Coumadin and my dad was around 80 and just didn't. You know, um, he was at the end of his years also. Sorry. He was at the end of his years also. And my brother's like, you got to come and just see him so we can pull, you know, like, say our last goodbye. So I did. I hopped in my vehicle and hauled butt the six hours, really seven hours that it takes to get from Columbus, Ohio to St. Louis, Missouri. We get up there. We spend about two or three hours just thinking about letting him go. And then we all agree that it is time for him to go and that we just go ahead and turn the switch off and said goodbye to him. Well, he it took him about... 20 minutes for his body to expire, and I was talking to him the whole time, because I knew that he was having an out-of-body experience and that there was no way that he could come back into his body. You know how sometimes when we wake up, we wake up first, and then our body doesn't, hasn't, you know, isn't responding to us trying to move and move around and that kind of thing, Right? Well, he was in that same place, and I could feel that he was trying to, you know, make something happen, especially, you know, because I hadn't really seen him in like two years, just because he was busy with his world and I was busy with mine. So I was there showing him, you know, verbally appreciation and how I love him and that everything's okay, and that he just kicked his body's ass and that it's done and that there's no way that he can come back and start living in it again and be okay with it, you know, and every time that his body moved, I would say, I love you, and I got my brother who was standing there, and my dad's wife, and my dad's wife's daughter, like my stepsister, I got them all to say, we love you too, every time that his body moved, well, his body started moving something significant, every time that we would say, you know, I love you, or I would say, I love you, I think it got to where it sort of creeped out everybody else, my brother and the other parts of the family that were there. Right? Just, it's it's sort of weird to be talking to a body that isn't awake. But I knew that his consciousness was very aware, even though he was outside of his body. And that every time that I said, you know, I love you, and that everything was going to be okay, his body would move in a way to where it was trying to get up and try to hug me. And my brother said to the doctor, well, maybe we shouldn't have turned the switch off. And the doctor's like, well, look, here's the x-ray. It shows his skull completely filled with blood because he had fallen, hit his head, broke a vein in his head, and that he was on Coumadin. So all you people that have parents who are on Coumadin, make sure if they fall that they get looked at, right? 
so his skull was filled with blood and his brain was totally smashed by the pressure of the blood. There was no way that he could have control over his mind like that and, you know, by the record, right? But we could see that my dad's body was responding in kind with the things that I was saying and that we were saying. So he was just there, you know, trying to make things work, trying to make things work. You know, I could tell because he's a tough SOB. Right? I'm sort of feeling him, you know, here with me as I'm talking about him. And when he expired, it was like, you know, like the balloons that are on the front yard at Halloween or the holidays to where you can have those blow-up balloons that are being operated by fans. Well, it was like the fan was turned off and the, the you know, like the the form of the character on the front yard just deflated and became all wrinkly. And that's how it was when he passed, you know, and that his, the the electric of his function, of his persona or his body disconnected or turned off or whatever. Well, I... As I was standing there, I sort of, like, go into, like, a mental place to where I just stare, you know, like like a hunter is watching, you know, when they're out deer hunting or any kind of animal hunting, that they watch for any kind of movement so it can get their attention. Well, I did the same thing, and I saw my dad's orb fly in front of me and fly out the window. And I didn't need a camera. I didn't need anything else. I was able to see it. And that he left. Like he had an agenda. He had some place that he had to get to. And then we come back and visit my uncle, the last remaining person that's of my dad's family. Because my grandmother, my uncle's mom, and my dad's mom passed away. And then two weeks later, my my uh, my dad passed away, leaving my uncle all alone by himself to run the whole of the the family business. Well, it, you know, I had to get back to to Columbus because I was trying to find work or whatever, and I did have a job, but it wasn't anything significant, right? I worked at as a at a golf course to where I was just like a groundskeeper. A lot of fun, but that's another story I might talk about sometime in the future. But I had to get back. So I'm back, and then my brother calls like a week later. He's like, I can't do all this by myself. And you're not really doing anything there in Columbus that's significant. So you should just move here. So about a month later, I moved back home, and it was like November. So I was home in time for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that I had attended with my family for like 20 years. So there I am, you know, hanging out and just doing the family thing, don't have a job, but I still have my psychic profession. And doing things there, you know, um, as a psychic professional, I can carry my business anywhere that I go. Like if you Google psychic medium Kevin Baird, you have access to me there. And I'm doing fairly well at that line of work. But I needed a day job. So I get busy with just trying to find work locally and wasn't really able to find anything. So... I went to the local radio shack and just looked for electronic kits, like things on like how to do this thing and that thing. And you put wires together and you make a radio or you make a a weather sensor or something. I was just trying to find a way to get a hold of some technology that would help me reinvent myself. I had a few ideas that were already in motion. 
like there was one primary idea that I had, which was trying to take the K2, and it's uh, if you look at the pictures that are rotating in the marquee, it has like something that looks like a, a TV remote control with a, like these like multicolored bars on it. It's a gray looking kind of remote control, and the picture has the letters K and II on it. It's really K2. I had been working with this device for probably five or six years during paranormal investigations, and it was not meeting my my expectations as a psychic medium. I know you know as a psychic medium as a medium and sort of like a master medium, I was able to during my career some 30, 40, probably 50 times, able to channel foreign languages that I don't speak. Farsi, Swahili, Spanish, Arabic, and there's some others that I can't think of right away, and I don't want to spend a lot of time going over the list. But I always felt like when the K2 was flickering as a yes-no kind of response to the questions that are being asked to the atmosphere... My mediumship side always told me that that was in conflict somehow and was not working. Just the the connection, the communication was not working. Well, I set out those a few years later to try to find a way to take the tech that's programmed into the K2 and try to find a way to tie voice responses to it. I wasn't sure how I was going to make that happen, but that was my my goal like two or three years ago. But I wasn't really able to find anything that would make that work. But I knew from when I was a kid, I came into the Radio Shacks and found the kits that I needed to learn how and, and about electronics and communications and that kind of stuff, and that's what moved me into my IT career. I knew that that would be a place that I could go back to and maybe find my foot in the door for something that would move me into the future. I didn't know. I, you know, you never know. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Well, there is a device that I found that is called the Arduino Mega, and that it is sort of like a. It's a device that is multi. Uh, multifunction. It it can do a lot of things. Like it can tell you if there's you know like something moving in the area, like it's motion sensitive, and that it will let you know if there's something that is moving around. And then you can set it up to set off alarms, turn on cameras, or whatever. Same thing for if it's raining, you can. It will let you know if it's raining, so if you have to run out and turn, you know, like roll the windows up on the car because you left them down or something, you can do that also, right? There's many things that you can do with it. So I knew that there might be something there that I could do, that I could use that would help me come up with something that I could do later, wasn't sure what. So I spent the $60 and got the device. Well, about three or four days later, my brother calls and says, all right, we need to start working on the properties that my dad used to maintain and that my uncle helped with maintaining, but was far from being able to keep it all going at the same time. So I took the Arduino, and it's spelled A-R-D-U-I-N-O, and all the things that it could do and the kit that it, you know, came in, and I just put it to the side, like put it on the shelf or something and just didn't do anything with it. And I spent a year helping my brother get the family property back into shape, new roofs in some places, you know, tearing up rooms and everything else. So I spent a year doing demolition and reconstruction. Then come, once that all finished, it, I was 
right? I didn't have anything to do. So I went back home and finished my, you know, the things that I had going on there. Um, My mom was trying to sell her house, so I was in the middle of trying to do renovations with that, too. And just because I was, you know, just busy with trying to do the renovations there, I really didn't have time to really play anymore with the Arduino. I didn't really spend a lot of time even thinking about it. So once her household, I moved out into the country. And I moved into a neighborhood that was primarily uh, for for students and PhDs or, or undergrads and trying to develop what they do in their, you know, their careers or their degrees and all that. And I moved in, and it was a, it's a modest trailer court. But a lot of great people live in it, and the people are a lot of fun, even though it's, like, the it's a long way from me paying, you know, like, two grand as a mortgage payment down to, you know, like 250 a month. But I needed a way that I could conserve money so I could spend all of it on research and, you know, just focus on being the next IT Kevin or whatever that is. So I unpacked the Arduino, and then I go on YouTube, and I do a lot of Googling, and just see that, oh, yeah, there's there's um, how-tos, how-to videos there on, like, how to, you know, do the rain sensor and the heat sensor and the motion sensor and the the cat food bowl is empty, and there's even robotic things there. Well, I decided to Google within YouTube Arduino and EMF, which is electromotive force detection. And that's what electromagnetic force, not motive, magnetic. And that's what causes the K2 to flicker. Causes the K2 to flicker. Well, I found <clears throat> that there was a there was a couple of lessons there on how to build the device so that it can be sensitive to electromagnetic fluctuations. And that was just amazing to me. Here was a device, a breakout device, a device that I could, you know, twist and turn and pull and push and smash and expand and whatever to experiment with trying to make my EMF voice response device. Well, it requires, you know, knowing a little bit about C++ programming and also, you know, how computer electronics works, you know, with the ones and the os, the ons and offs and everything like that. I'm just thinking about that. And here I found it. I was just amazed that I found it. Well, I got to where I was able to tune it so that it would be more sensitive to the atmosphere than to the wires in the house. And it began flickering. Just randomly. And it should not be flickering 
unless it was up against an electrical wire that had a lot of force moving through it. You know, like electrical, you know, like outlet from the TV or the air conditioner. It was just doing that randomly. And I just had one little light flickering responsive to the atmosphere magnetic powers. Now, the magnetic powers in the atmosphere is not new. Like if you go like if you go back to the marquee for the show, you'll see a picture of Nikolai Tesla and that he was a guy who tried to give the world free power. Power that you could power your TVs, your refrigerators, your the lights in your house, the the way you heat and cool your house, how you you know uh, power to run your automobiles, all taken from the atmosphere. And people asked him, "It's like, how did you come up with this this technology?" And he said. I just thought of it, like my mind has a little like TV or something. They didn't have TVs back then, but it had like a, a, what, it had a, a canvas, good word, it had a canvas that was dynamic, and that he would see something, and then something on the canvas of his mind would light up, and give him an idea for something, and then he'd think about that idea for something, and then it would chain react to like the next part of the process for making that idea happen. And sometimes he would have a thousand chain reactions of canvas changes in his mind that would get him to the things that he discovered, and that he invented or that he found a way to create alternating current, which is the power that comes from our outlets, right? It was... Thomas Edison, the the light bulb guy, he invented DC, direct current battery voltage, but that was a problem power because it had a lot of um, resources and supplies that were needed to maintain the power over long distances where alternating current would not. You just need a transformer ever so often that would bump up the power as it got on down the line as it crossed from, let's say, L.A. up to New York or something. So there's a lot of fighting going back and forth about who was, you know, the brilliant person that was related to that. And he got into a lot of trouble when his backer, J.P. Morgan a very famous banker even of today and a family and that kind of thing, decided to drop him because he kept, Nikolai Tesla kept trying to find a way to give away everything for free. Well, J.P. Morgan, he's an investor and that he wants, you know, to make a profit off everything. So J.P. Morgan dropped Nikolai Tesla and moved on to other financial opportunities. So here there was like a thousand different things out there that, that Tesla had come up with that were just sitting on paper in some places. Some of them classified, some of them non-classified. Well, come World War II and Hitler, Hitler was very amazed by Tesla and got all the things that he could about Tesla on paper and gave it to his scientists to try to find a way to come up with this kind of or advanced technology that would help Hitler win the war. Well, right about that time, or a little before, you know, I'm not exactly in line with how things happen in history. I'm just trying to explain the power of the atmosphere, right, and how Tesla came up with that idea from straight out of the blue. And with the technology that goes into the new companion devices thing that I have invented, I feel like I came up with the idea out of the blue as well. Because some of the things, the way I have it set up, it's never been done before. Ever. 
as far as I know, because I've searched high and low to the best of my ability to try to find a way to see if someone else has done this thing and nobody has. And it just came out of the blue, right? And I was driven to, like, try and make this device. If you go back to the marquee, you'll see a, a, a color drawing of something that I came up with back in 2004. And I call it the jump gate key. And it shows two crystals that are spinning in different directions on top of each other and that they're standing on top of a computer board. Now, I came up with this idea back in 2004, way before I even thought about the K2 and getting it to talk. Or it might have been right about that time, too. I'm just letting you have a chance to see if it just shows up or whatever. So, this jump gate key came to me in a dream that I woke up the next morning and had to just go to my art program on my computer and draw it so I wouldn't lose it. And if you look in the upper left-hand corner, it shows uh, like a little graph that you might see like on the EKGs that monitor heartbeats. Or if you know about electronics and oscilloscopes, it shows you a sine wave, a frequency that's happening again and again and again. All this stuff came to me in a dream. Nikolai Tesla talked about how he would get things from that same place, and I call it the mind media player. And I and if you do look on the marquee, you'll see a picture of someone who I have their forehead right there with a TV screen right on it. That's exactly it. And I feel like our foreheads are set to be receptive, sort of like sonar or something. And it's a little wacky, me talking about that, but who knows? Why is it that our you know foreheads are bare? And I found that the people who have protruding ridges under their eyebrows tend to be more creative and innovative than not. There's There are exceptions, sure. And one exception that's there is the other picture that should be, you know, rotating on the marquee, which is of Maria Orsic. It's a picture of a woman with blonde hair and that she was a part of an organization that existed before World War II that was like a psychic medium group of psychic women and that they felt that having long hair gave them their psychic ability. Well... The woman, Maria Orsic, and if you Google Maria Orsic, O-R-S-I-C, and Nazi, you know, um, you'll find that she was a person who was channeling technology and writing it down, and it was coming in in some old Mesopotamian language. It's called cuneiform script that she was writing it in. And that is just basically, you know, little sticks that are pointing in different directions. And some of them look like E's and some of them, you know, look like H's and that kind of stuff. You just have to go and look that up, cuneiform script, if you want to. You probably already know what it is, but she was writing this down, but she did not know what she was writing. But because she was a practicing medium and had clients and that kind of thing, that she was comfortable with writing it all down. Well, she felt like it was some kind of significant event or experience or something, and that the information was just flowing. And she said that her sources, and that she was about the age of 19, she said that her sources were transmitting the information from the Aldebaran system in the constellation of Taurus, and that's right next door to the Pleiades, or the Pleiadians, right? And that you can Google all that to find out more about that, too. She was receiving that information from that, you know, place in the sky. She gave the documentation to her father, who was an engineer, and I think that by birth she had you know, DNA or whatever that made her sort of an engineering marvel too, even though she was a woman back in the day and that, you know, women weren't scientists then 
or significant scientist. So she gave her dad the documentation, and then her dad took the documentation back to the university, and an ancient, you know, like a archaeologist um, professor transcribed the information and found that it was details for developing technology for flight, primarily UFOs. So here she was channeling technology that was to be given to capable people that could give the occupants of this world the ability to fly and to start connecting with the rest of society that stretches through the solar systems and through the entire universe and everything else, right through just the cosmos. Billions and billions of potentials. And she said that the information was passed to her from some, you know, interdimensional source. I feel that the the power atmosphere that Tesla was working with to try to give everybody free power is also sort of like an information cloud. It's 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 got like some kind of power in the atmosphere that's bubbling, right? Like the white noise that you see on the T V screen when you're tuned to a different channel depending on if you're watching Amazon TV or just a regular TV. I don't think white noise channels exist anymore, but just the bubbling crazy static on the screen is what I feel the power atmosphere is. And that there are consciousnesses that come and go and mill about in that atmosphere, sort of like how fish swim around in an ocean or a lake, and that they can swim high, they can swim low, they can swim left or right, any direction that they want to. I feel, because of how I saw my dad, his consciousness fly out of the room as an orb, that when we pass away, our consciousness goes back into this atmosphere and mills about. And that's all that I can say about that because I'm here and I'm living and I'm limited to the things that I can know about it, but I'm exploring it, trying to find out more about it. If you look at some of the other pictures that are floating around, there's one in there that I call Frozen Smoke. And it is a artistic thing of just abstract stuff that if you look at it, depending on your mood or frame of mind at the time, you see different things. I started doing that art as like the first, I don't know, part of the path for development of psychic ability. Because when you look at this frozen smoke, depending on your frame of mind, you see something that reminds you of something. Now, what was it that you saw that reminded you of something else that is of the physical? That is playing on your mind media player. As you let that develop, it becomes fine-tuned. So it's like learning what letters are, like how to to write an A and a B and a C. Well, then you start evolving into like, you know, making words like cat and dog and and ball. But then you start chaining the words together, and it starts turning into something significant that ends up becoming very profound. Still, it's playing on the mind media player. It's activating your mind media player to open up your mind for creativity. I got the idea from a photograph that I had taken. Like I got the idea for this frozen smoke thing from a photograph that I had taken 
when I was in a graveyard up in Richmond, Virginia. It was an old Civil War, Revolutionary War graveyard. Like this graveyard housed like the first people that came to the U.S. as a part of the the transition from England to here. And one of the pictures that I had taken of a brick wall shows the face of a woman, actual living face of a woman, as if it was a photograph that was taken. And that the face is looking at my girlfriend at the time, or looking at her direction, or in her direction, and very interested, right, at what my girlfriend was doing while we were in, because we were just, you know, trying to look at old stuff in an old graveyard. That gave me the great idea to like, hmm, well maybe other things will start coming through if I did it on my own. So I started experimenting with the frozen smoke. And that you can go and find out more or see more of my art on either on newcompanion.com or templeofgaia.com. The Temple of Gaia website is the one that I use for uh, working with clients and psychic ability stuff. It shows different pictures of the, you know, the frozen smoke and what do you see when you look at it. Well, I I got the ability to see things like in brick walls and you know like the the strange pictures that show up. If you look at one of the other pictures in the rotating marquee, there's a picture of what I call the tree man, which is a stump or a tree that's been cut off with just like a couple of inches left of the stump, maybe like a foot left of the stump, and it shows a natural formation of a man's face in that stump. And it's possible that the spirit that was there saw that the stump could be modified by it, you know, imposing its power, force, energy, whatever, from that, you know, that electrostatic atmosphere, that white noise atmosphere, imposing its power onto the stump and was able to outline its face or his face. And I'm looking at the picture now, and it's still amazing. And that some people who have looked at it said that the guy's face looks like one of the singers from the country band Alabama, which is very amazing. I feel that when we're outside of the physical body, outside of the physical form, and disconnected, not living in it like we would if we were in a coma or if we're having an out-of-body experience, we go to things that we can affect and somehow communicate how we remember ourselves, or a message, or something. And that's what got me to uh, building the new companion, was that I wanted to be able to give the people in spirit, and the people who are in the Aldebaran system, in the constellation of Taurus or whatever, a way to manipulate the new companion with the energy pulses to be able to communicate with me or with anybody. I my I set out to build the new companion to help me understand the spirits that are in the atmosphere and what it is that they want to say. And I also want to build devices that I can sell and in some cases donate to institutions like museums or places that are educational, like haunted places, I would love, like my plan is to go and do crowdfunding and give about 80 new companion devices to haunted places throughout the U.S., maybe a couple in the U.K., like starting with Alcatraz out in California on up to some place that might be in Maine, Florida, Texas maybe Mexico, maybe Canada. I think that I really want to keep it in the U.S., but I do have a device in the U.K. that's being evaluated by a group over there also. So I'm looking to probably branch out into the U.K., probably Germany as well. But I want to be able to come up with enough money 
to where I can build some 80 to 100 devices that I can donate to these locations and see what kind of experiences that it turns over. And then I want to be able to, you know, to be able to make enough of them to where I can sell them to people who are innovators, inventors, creators, that kind of thing. I want to be able to sell it to them at a reasonable price so that I can maintain my place, right, and that I can continue to do more research and design and evolve the technology and be able to come up with a way, a tool, to where the inventors out there, the creators out there, whether you you know, are a creator of music, electronics, whatever, it doesn't have to be you know, something that I'm doing or something that somebody else is doing. What are you good at inventing? Right or what is it that you would like to make? It's possible that the new the new companion could help you with that because I have programmed the new companion and if you go and look over at newcompanion.com nucompanion.com you'll see a menu link there where it's like what did I say or what did you say. And it shows you a list of all the phrases that I programmed into the new companion that it can say, like, I love you, take out the trash, yes to that, no to that, I like that, I'm looking at that, and so on and so forth. So imagine if you had this new companion device with you and that you were working on developing some kind of new thing, some kind of innovation. And while you're thinking about, you know, like going out and buying a hammer. Right as you're thinking about buying the hammer, the new companion says something like, that's a good idea, or yes to that. So you go and you buy the hammer. So then you come back and you start working on you know, the project that was going to use the hammer is is using the hammer, and then you decide to do laundry, like, you know, like, or clean your room, or clean the cat box, or something. And then the new companion com- comes back and says no to that. Then that's letting you know that maybe you should get back to working on that project that you had, that you're using the hammer with. Now let's say that while you're working with the hammer, something happens outside and you look out the window, and while you're looking out the window, the new companion says, I am looking at that. It's letting you know that it's starting to connect with what it is that you're doing here also. As your mind becomes familiar and comfortable with, you know, because there's a wave of, like, realization that passes over you that sometimes can be and feel a little awkward because this thing just responded to something that you were doing. Well, as you start getting a rhythm for working with the new companion and trying to follow through with what it says you might find that it could get to a point to where you really wouldn't need it anymore because whatever's happening in your mind that could potentially spark the new companion to say something, it could get to where you would recognize that specific kind of spark that's happening in your mind and that you wouldn't need the new companion anymore. And that's how mediums work. That's how people with mediumship ability work, that they have what they think of as a part of just living their life. But then when they're trying to do a mediumship session with somebody or a client or whatever, that there's a different kind of frequency, a different kind of spark, a snap, a crackle, a pop, that's related to that information that's coming in. And that you can use that information, apply it towards helping you evolve whatever it is that you want to evolve. Now, 
you know, bless the hearts of the people who are in in uh, insane asylums and institutions because they hear voices. I feel like they had the snaps and the crackles and the pops since they were born or didn't have it and then all of a sudden it switched over at some point in their life, whether it was adolescence or that they, you know, took the wrong kind of drug or something or got in a car accident, maybe something that was that jolted their body, their system, and caused them to just be wide open to all that information flowing in. And that they didn't know how to cope with it, especially if they weren't an inventor, an engineer, someone who has vision. You know, you don't have to be a medium. You don't have to be able to talk to ghosts to be able to work with a new companion. It's something that... It just is 108 some odd phrases that happen randomly that can help you, potentially, could, right, I use the could word in there, develop your tech. What is it that you're good at? What is it that you want to know more about? For people who compose music, the new companion could be custom, customized to where it has different you know, fingerings, like, you know, three or four note um, compositions, like, you know, like F, G, A, B, or something, in different sequences, or chords. And that it can play different chords at different times and probably help you come up with new types of musical composition. That is something that I've been thinking about and trying to work on also, but right now I'm just trying to develop the tech to work with what I have so far because it's so astounding that my mind just spins and spins and spins with possibilities of how and what it can do. I have a device that's in place out in the public at the historic Benton Jail in Benton, Illinois, and that the people there asked me to build a device that would be a copy of the personification of their primary gangster, the last gangster, Charlie Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R, that was hanged in the state of Illinois, Southern Illinois. And what I did was I got 108 phrases that I took from history and also you know, jailhouse of language, like, you know, I will, I'm not guilty, or I'm thirsty, or let me out of here. And I set that up to play in their jail. Like, they have a self-guided area to where you can just walk through and look at all the things of history, and that the new companion that's there that's saying the phrases from their gangster past back in the 1920s, says things that may be relative to what the people are looking at or thinking about as they're walking through the museum. There was one story that the curator told me that the curator told me that there was a group of girls that were up there who were checking out the new companion and it wasn't talking at all until they walked away from it and started looking out the window at the gallows that they had outside and the the new companion device said, what are you looking at? And then the girls started screaming, and they ran back downstairs to the main desk, you know, of the museum, and the lady's there. She's like, oh, calm down. It's going to be okay. It's nothing to worry about. You know, it's only a, um, a, a machine. So it has, it's working, and it's acting like there's actual ghosts there that are talking to people that come in. But that's the show for now. I plan to do another one next week right at the same time and I'm going to try and take um you know calls as I can but just I wanted to get through the information to start sharing it with people to see hey here's a way that we can connect with the other world and you don't have to be a medium so I want to thank you guys for listening and it's just another day in paradise and that you can find out more about the new companion by going to new companion and you companion and you companion.com or temple of gaia 
G-A-I-A.com, or just Google Psychic Medium Kevin Baird or New Companion. All right? Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. Take care, and have a nice day. <laughs>